0: I assume anything I do on my computer, on my cell phone, is public.
1: You know, robots are never going to have some sense of justice or concept of justice the way that humans do.
2: And I'll ask you to introduce yourselves with your names and Mm -hmm. what you do here and what brought you here whatever.
0: Uh, my name is Hoda Haydari. I'm a postdoctoral researcher in the Machine Learning Institute here at ETH.
1: My name is Elliot Ash. I'm an assistant professor at the Department of Social Sciences at the Chair of Law, Economics and Data Science.
2: My name is Jennifer Kakshori. This is the ETH podcast. Big data and the use of algorithms are changing the world. They're changing politics, economy, our everyday life. And so all of this is probably even changing the way we think. The transformations are happening without us realizing, and they affect us all, if we want or not. I, for example, I leave digital traces behind every step I take, every single thing I look up or anything I order online, as well as whenever and wherever I take my smartphone with me. My devices know me better than any of my closest friends and family do. Anyone who uses the internet produces tons and tons of data every single day.
0: How did you leave traces behind this morning? In all sorts of ways. I think I uh, used the social media pretty much when I woke up. I checked the news. I uh, used Google Maps to navigate my, my way. Uh, what else?
1: I also used the Google Maps to use the tram schedule to get to e- ETH on time. I got one tram earlier than I, I had planned to because otherwise I would have been a little bit late. I also used Gmail, which I guess that, in, at least for the Google company, that leaves some trace for, for, for their data sets.
2: So let's go to the other end, to the algorithms and how they actually work. Hoda Hidari knows
0: basically traditionally by algorithm what we mean is a set of rules that's uh, some human uh, coder writes down, and the computer basically just follows those rules. So for instance, a traditional algorithm might say that let's take Jennifer's inputs about Jennifer's data, about her prior financial uh, transactions with a bank. And then based on that, if she has uh, paid her prior loans on time, then I'm going to allocate her another loan. So sort of uh, this could be just a rule that some human coder just writes down next time, you know, an algorithm can automate this decision by taking your input and then telling the bank teller whether they should give you a loan or something. So, so now with machine learning, uh, what's happening is that we try to automate this process of coming up with these decision rules. So instead of someone writing this rule down explicitly, what we use is that we use the data from many, many people. So for instance, the data set could consist of my prior financial transactions and whether I was actually able to pay back a loan or not. It could include similar information about you, about Elliot and everyone. And so from this data set, what a machine learning algorithm does is that it looks at this data set, tries to extract the rules from it. So it could be that the learning algorithm figures out that, yes, it is in fact the case that people who have paid back their loans uh, in time in the past are more likely to pay back their future loans. But you have to also take into account whether the person has a job or not. So so, sort of like with a machine learning algorithm, instead of relying on a human being to figure out what the rules are and write it down explicitly, we rely on the learning algorithm to look at the data and pick up the correlation in the data in an automatic fashion and give us a decision rule.
2: So, algorithms decide on if I get a loan or not? That could obviously be a problem for me. Who knows if an algorithm takes a fair decision or doesn't?
0: one of the first reactions uh, that I actually get whenever I talk about algorithmic fairness is that, well, it looks like algorithms are very objective. How can they be unfair? We usually associate unfairness with some kind of intent, which is a human thing. It's, of course, you know, a computer doesn't have intent. But the reality is that when you use these kinds of machine learning algorithms that I just told you about, these algorithms are very good at picking up all sorts of correlations in your data. So for one thing, you know, these algorithms can pick up some existing prejudices in the world so for instance let's go back to our uh, fictitious example of you know deciding whether someone is creditworthy whether the bank should uh, give you a loan or not so it could be that, you know, maybe, again, this is a fictitious example, but let's go uh, with it for clarity. So it could really be that historically women has been discriminated against when it comes to whether they get a loan or not. So what's going to happen is that when you use a machine learning algorithm to figure out what's the rule, the machine learning algorithm is going to say that, oh, looks like women in general are being denied credit. So they are probably credit worthy. So next time I see a woman, I'm going to just deny them a loan. And
2: that's because historically women
0: weren't taken into account and the data is that old? That could be one reason, but there are multiple reasons for this. That's actually a very good point. One one thing could be that, you know, the data does not have sufficient many samples from some parts of the population. The technical term is under or over representation of certain parts of the population in the data set. There are all sorts of other reasons. For instance, there could be past discriminations encoded in the data and so on. So, the learning algorithm is very good at picking these up and sort of giving you a discriminatory decision making model. So, it, it basically all it tries to do is to imitate uh, what's in the data. So, actually, algorithms
2: are very old fashioned. Nowadays,
1: Well, so just just think about, I think that the the getting a loan or the credit report example is useful. If you think about a banker, a human banker from, you know, 50 years ago, before the, the rise of algorithms, they had to use some kind of decision process to decide who would get a loan. And so you can imagine their thought process. One of the major things they're thinking about is, will this person default? On the loan. So let's say that's actually the only thing they're thinking about. Will this person default? So they have some idea based on their history of previous transactions and what they know about the person, and they can form this prediction. And then they decide if this person will default, they don't get a loan. Just imagine fast forwarding 50 years, and now you have uh, a data set of millions tens of millions, hundreds of millions of loans all in a single database with the person's characteristics and their outcome. Did they default or not? So now that the banker has access to this database, they can form a very accurate prediction based on the borrower's characteristics of whether this person will will default or not. And so this is what these uh, machine learning algorithms, these machine learning predictions have, have now provided for industry, for government agencies. And whether or not um, a human banker is fair is something that is up to, up to question, right? Because human decision makers have many prejudices and biases. And the issue with machine learning algorithms potentially is that if they're based on human decision making... Uh, then they will also be biased. But if they're designed to try to recover human biases and mitigate them, they also have the potential for being more fair or or less biased than human decision-makers.
2: Mankind or machine, who is fairer? That's the question. And I feel... Like all of us who use the internet are sort of like guinea pigs concerning algorithms. Just by doing things like checking emails, searching for simple answers to questions, using search engines, booking a train ticket for a trip, or reserving a hotel room somewhere abroad, or even when standing in court. The courtroom and machine judges, that's Elliot's field of research. So, Elliot, what's the difference of machines and uh, human beings making decisions in criminal justice cases?
1: So the, the broader question is, what do judges do? Either a human judge or a robot judge is they take evidence, which you can think about as a data set of in, a, in an algorithm type world, and they make predictions or they make decisions. And so, basically, you can imagine a, a robot judge or some kind of automated legal decision maker going back to the history of human judges, learning about what decisions they made, guilty or innocent, in the context of the evidence or the data in those cases, and then trying to replicate those decisions basically saying, you know, whatever observable information the human judges have, we collect the, as much of that as we can as data, and then the robot judge can try to replicate that. I will say that, you know, from my own research, you can get quite high accuracy this way. Just, for example, just using uh, data on the characteristics of, uh, of defendants in the New Orleans District Attorney's Office, we have this, this rich data set on the characteristics of, of the defendants, when prosecutors are deciding whether to to drop the charges or not in, in the in the initial uh, in the initial trial, we can predict what they will do with, with about eighty eight percent accuracy. And so I think that you know this is um, actually using what only what what data was being saved um, by the courtroom for their record keeping purposes. But you can imagine that if we started collecting all the information available to the judges and maybe even start processing some of the trial transcripts. The trial videos, and then you can get uh, quite a, a lot higher um, accuracy in replicating what human judges do. So that that that's one aspect of this is predicting what human judges do and trying to replicate that by a, a robot judge. But another thing is to predict will this person commit more crimes in the future, and this is this is closer to uh, to systems like risk scoring.
0: So this is, in fact, you know, risk assessment tools or software tools that are already used mm-hmm across the United States in courtrooms. So the way they work is that uh, when a new defendant comes in, the judge is going to give their data to the software. The software is going to, based on the historical data, it is going to determine how risky this individual is to reoffend. if the judge allows them to go free or on bail, for instance. And based on that, based on that risk score, the judge is going to decide, in fact, whether to allocate bail to this individual individual or incarcerate them. So uh, in the summer of 2016, there was this article by ProPublica, uh, and this received a lot of attention. And what this article showed was that this software that is widely used in courtrooms across the U.S. to make bail decisions is biased against African-American defendants. And what does that mean? So the authors argued that this particular software is biased because if you are an African-American defendant who does not... Commit a crime in the future, you are more likely to be incarcerated. Compared to if you are a white uh, defendant that is not going to re offend on bail, you are more likely to uh, get a bail. So, sort of, there, there is this discrimination going on that, you know, if you are in fact an innocent defendant, being African American means that you are more likely to be incarcerated. Being white means that you are more likely to get a bail. And as you can imagine this can be highly consequential for these defendants. What's the situation like in Europe? Is it similar or is it comparable to
2: the situation in the US with the robot judges?
1: So uh, I don't know as much about the European system as in the US, but I did see that Estonia in particular is trying to initiate a widespread uh, legal automation system, especially for the more minor offenses, such as train tickets or speeding tickets. Uh, They're going to start automating many of those processes.
2: And do you see this as something positive? Because in a way, I find it scary that all this data, all of our data is being collected and that machines decide on what I what I get or what I don't get or what I'm allowed to do or not allowed to do.
1: What's your view on this? Um, So uh, I I would say that um, definitely it's a concerning development. And I think that many things that, um, we associate with automated decision making are these big conglomerates that are often influencing our actions through, through subtle ways and there's a risk that when the legal system or when criminal justice decision making is also automated there would be this this power differential uh, between people who have information or can control the algorithm and people who, who who don't don't see into it and have less of an influence on it or or have some some differential influence or issues of, of non-democratic uh, input so i think that you know, in, in terms of this issue of, of fairness, one advantage of the algorithm is that the prejudices or biases of, of individual judges are going to be corrected. In the sense that if you have some judge that is you know, prejudiced against gender, another judge is prejudiced by age, another judge is prejudiced by religion, those will all be washed out. Um, and so this is, this is in, in some way where I think the algorithm is, could be quite helpful. But if there are existing systematic biases in the system, then the algorithm is likely to amplify those um, and and, and to make them stronger, entrench them, and give them this veneer of objectivity, right? So you can imagine that, and, and I've heard about this anecdotally, that there's a sense where courts might adopt automated decision making just because people trust it more right and and the idea is that well if if the robot chose it it might be just as you know as wrong or unfair as as any decision in previous courts but because a robot did it we should we should trust it but on the other hand there's many people like like you where um saying that You know, robots are—we we 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 shouldn't trust them. I would rather have a human judge. I would rather have a jury, let's say. And so, you know, one way of kind of mitigating the worries of of bringing automated decision making into the system is to have a choice uh, for defendants or or litigants, saying, you know, I can have a judge, I can have a jury. That's what we currently have in the U.S., for example. But maybe there could be a third option—a human judge a human jury or a robot judge. And so you can imagine that uh, this actually might add in more chances for, for fair decision making.
0: Do you have any ethical concerns? Definitely. There are many, many issues that can, uh, many ethical issues that can arise when we use um, algorithms and machine learning tools to make consequential decisions, uh, such as the ones that we just discussed for human beings. Fairness is one of them. Privacy is another one. There are uh, issues with uh, transparency and accountability. If an algorithm makes a highly consequential mistake, who should be responsible? These are questions that we need to grapple with before the use of algorithms in the social domain expands even further.
1: Just to add in on, on the issue of transparency, which I think is critical here. So the first is there are algorithms that are used for risk scoring already, which are, are closed source algorithms in the sense that uh, their source code is, is not made available to the public or to researchers. And so I think this is this is a very concerning situation where we won't know how the algorithm or the risk scoring or the automated decision system works. So I would say that in terms of transparency, requiring open source is a very important goal so that people know how it works. I think that's the only democratic solution. On the other hand, you wouldn't necessarily want to have open source data, because there's privacy issues. The idea is that the algorithm is trained on many previous decisions, and many previous individuals. And in order to understand how the algorithm learned its decision process, you would actually, in principle, need access to the data, which would present many privacy issues. In addition, If we start having more, let's say, transparency on the algorithm, how the algorithm makes decisions, it also will make them easier to to take advantage of, to game the system. And you can imagine savvy attorneys learning about here are the loopholes in the the algorithm to try to get away with uh, some or, or other crime.
2: Elliot and Hoda come from very different scientific backgrounds and are working on a research project together now. But where did it all begin for each of them?
0: Oh, that's a tough question. Let me think for a second, if, if you know what. Sure, you're I, I, can, I can start.
1: <laughs> yeah, so so I got into interest in algorithms by my, my background in law. My training is in law. I have a, I have a JD and a PhD in economics. And uh, my work focuses on understanding the determinants and consequences of human judge decision making. And so when you start with a, a focus on human decision-making with judges, and then a major component of what judges do is, is their language, right? So they write these long judicial opinions, um, you know, thousands and thousands of words explaining why they uh, make decisions and also trying to point the way for other judges. And so once you have computers reading the, uh, the language of the decisions, uh, it's, it's kind of a short step to think about, well, uh, could computers be doing these decisions?
0: I think I come from the exact opposite background. So I'm a computer scientist by training. I began my research career by conducting research in machine learning. I was not originally concerned with the societal implications of the technology. Uh, But then as uh, all these stories came up showing the implication of the type of work we do in real people's lives, I became more and more interested in understanding how the algorithm is affecting people, how we can ensure some form of fairness in the decisions that the algorithm is making for people and so on. And uh, currently, that's exactly the type of research that I do. So my research is precisely on coming up with measures of fairness for algorithms and coming up with algorithmic mechanisms to enforce those notions of fairness.
2: For me, this all sounds like a topic that not only all of us should be discussing about on many levels, but it also sounds like politics should be taking care. What can I do? What can we do about fairness and unfairness? So both of you are experts, you know the anatomy of algorithms, of machine learning, but people, everyday people, just normal human beings, how should they deal with this fact of unfair algorithms? What can they do that the algorithms don't treat them unfair, if at all there is anything? Do we Google things on our phone
0: to make our data somehow different or... To influence it? I would say one thing that people can try to do in order to make sure algorithms are less unfair is to look within and try to see what are their own prejudices. Because at the end of the day, the algorithm tries to pick those up, right? So, for instance, there was this article a while ago showing that if you have an African American sounding name and you type your name down in a search engine, then uh, you are much more likely to get suggestion for arrest records compared to if you have a white-sounding name like John Smith, right? Why this happened? Because when people, when everyday people uh, search black-sounding names, they are more likely to click on arrest records. So this is kind of like a human prejudice that the algorithm, the underlying algorithm, is picking up on, okay. and sort of uh, it's just replicating that. So, so if we want algorithms to be more fair we have to keep in mind that algorithms are a sort of mirror they are, they are trying to mirror us so if we want the algorithms to be more fair then we need to uh, first look within and see whether we are fair or not
2: so we need to google elliot's name more often than our names
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: what can um you know regular people do so in the case of of um where algorithms or machine learning is is currently most let's say invasive isn't in, in the case of you know s- search engines and and uh, social media uh, advertising and, and tracking i think that there are now plenty of tools for you know blocking advertising blocking trackers i would of course be greatly in favor of more people doing this and i think in the case of sort of uh, automated decision making in in the law there's not much that people can do right now, I think partly because these systems haven't become totally universal yet. And I would say that this is still in the realm of policy. So, you know, people should um, stay informed for, for voting and, you know, asking their public officials about it um, and, uh, you know, trying to maintain some level of healthy transparency and, and accountability.
2: And what's happening on a political level, if at all we can say this in a general level, what do politicians do? to make algorithms more fair or to handle all of these problems that come with the algorithms?
0: I think there is actually a little bit of a lag going on here. One thing that picked up a lot of attention was this recent testimony by by Mark Zuckerberg where where one of the high-profile senators asked him, how do you even make money uh, if you don't charge people? And he was baffled and said, we run ads, senator. And so that gives you a sense of how far behind the policymakers are, unfortunately. The good news is that uh, on the academic side, there is a lot of interest and there is a lot of work going on in this area. And hopefully that at some point is going to trickle down to the policymaking level.
2: So it has a lot to do with the change of digital natives and digital
1: immigrants, in a sense. I would say so, too. Yeah, I think that um, a lot of this does have to do with this lag of the fact that, you know, people who are currently in office, um, you know, many of them are from a previous generation. They don't have the same level of awareness about how machine learning algorithms are, are controlling our lives, uh, not, not just in the legal system, but in a society more generally. And just all of our experience on the Internet is controlled and determined by algorithms. I think that the European Union it seems to me far ahead of the U.S. In, in this case, with a lot of interesting developments such as the uh, GDPR. There's now uh, policies that are in place or being developed to ensure some level of fairness uh, or some level of explainability uh, in algorithmic decision making. What's which
0: I- GDPR? Sorry. General data protection okay. regulation.
1: <laughs> so I could just say, yeah. So the, the, yeah, the, the European Union privacy, internet privacy regulations are are superior to those in, in the U.S. and very well developed, and I think are quite helpful in in many ways. And I think they, they point the way toward a you know, let's say, a people focused set of regulations for internet privacy and for algorithms, which I think is what will work best for for everyone.
2: So knowing all of this, let's get back to Elliot's research on algorithms and criminal justice. Does he really see robot judges as a solution?
1: There's now a wealth of evidence that judges are moved by extraneous factors. You know, the weather, you know, did they get enough sleep the night before, things like this. And at least the robot judge won't be influenced by these factors.
2: Won't be tired or won't have a bad mood that day. Or That's something. right. Okay. So you think in the long run algorithm judge, or let's say a machine judge, could be fairer than a human judge?
1: Yes, I, I, I would say so. I, I, I think there's a lot, of, a lot of promise for that.
2: Well, as long as there are no algorithms for robot podcast hosts, how can I protect myself from unfair algorithms? Let's ask Hoda and Elgit how they deal with algorithms, knowing that there are good and bad ones
0: say the way I usually approach this is that I assume anything I do on my computer on my cell phone is public basically that's what I go about it is this particular action or is this particular search that I'm about to do something that I would be comfortable doing in public if yes I'm gonna go ahead otherwise I won't
2: and so you go back to the encyclopedia if you want to look up something you don't want the public to know
0: Ah, probably. I mean a paper, yeah. a paper. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean
0: it, it doesn't happen often but uh, I think that would, that would be the best piece of advice I can I can give people mm-hmm.
1: For me, um, I think that you'd be cutting yourself off from a lot if you tried to cut yourself off from all of these social media and and search engines and and other technologies. That part of the trade off of using them is these tracking issues. But I think that you know um, one one thing we know from you know for example from the, the Zuckerberg quote is that the the way that this data is weaponized against you is through advertising. And so you know if you try to cut yourself off from advertising, then it prevents your data from being used against you in terms of distorting. Your Consumption behavior. And so I think that everybody should sign up for Adblock. Uh, that, 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 that's what I do.
2: <laughs> okay, good. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks. Thanks.
2: <laughs> Hoda Hedari and Elliot Ash, both from ETH Zurich. I wonder where all of this will take us to in the near and far future. Our data. The so-called new oil will continue to keep ethicists as well as many other scientists and politicians busy. Meanwhile, we will be out with a new episode of the ETH podcast soon. Subscribe to us. Might be good for your data and hopefully good to listen to. Tis Audio Story Lab and I produced this podcast together. My name is Jennifer Kakschari. Music and mastering by Luki Fretz. Thanks for joining us and listening.